This is We Are Jet. Hello and welcome. My name is Ed Palmer. On this podcast, we tell the stories of people who've had to drastically readjust their mindset, team culture, and ways of working, all to match the pace of a rapidly changing organization. In this episode, I'm speaking to Robert Stewart, who is Director of Engineering at Skip the Dishes in Canada. And we're going to talk about how Jet is making the tech industry more diverse and the importance of trust and transparency for leaders, no matter what sector they work in. And Robert's perspective may very well challenge any stereotypes that we have about people who work in tech. First impressions when you meet somebody new is where you bring your most, uh, are most likely to bring an unconscious bias because the only thing you can go on is what you see and what you hear right away. So really important, I think, for us to, to recognize that and be constantly checking ourselves as we're going through interviews, as we're going through those sorts of dialogue and make sure we're not bringing in those biases into our discussions. So we'll start with a really easy question. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us where you fit within your team and, of course, where your team fits within JET? Absolutely. So my name is Rob Stewart. I'm the Director of Engineering for the uh, Canadian Customer Restaurant Teams, but tend to take over a lot of responsibility for any product development in Canada. I report into Mert, our Chief Technology Officer, and I'm part of the global organization. So even though I'm very focused on the Canadian market, and I was originally hired by Skip and have spent a lot of time working with the Skip market, the Canadian environment, uh, I am part of the global organization and, and sort of roll up into that. I've uh, been here about four years, uh, joined uh, Skip originally, just as Just Eat and Skip had merged, and then uh, I've gone through the Just Eat takeaway merger as well. And uh, I spent about a year and a half actually uh, working with the operations teams, both in the UK and Canada, and managing that group for a while as a head of engineering for that team, uh, until we decided to do the restructure, and the director for Canada kind of made sense to have me fit into that role, uh, to allow Mert and team to focus on the UK and Europe and those areas. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Now, you mentioned Mert Oztek in there. We've we've had him as a guest on the podcast. If you're listening to this and you'd like to hear more about Mert, do seek out that podcast. You'll notice similarities, I think, between Robert and Mert's approach to culture. Um, but maybe we'll, we'll come on to that. Robert, tell us, I, I know you're in Canada. Tell us a little bit about Canada, um, uh, specifically the West Canada and Winnipeg, where you are. Why is it a unique environment for what you do? Sure, I can definitely answer that. So I, I was born in southern Ontario, which is kind of uh, east. Uh, they call it the east, even though it's kind of the middle. It's more like New York uh, in Canada. Uh, I went to school there. Uh, I worked in Silicon Valley during the big boom and bust eras. Uh, I've traveled a lot of Canada and a lot of the U.S., traveled a lot of the world and worked in many places. And uh, I chose to move to western Canada uh, during the, the 2004 era. Uh, just after the the bust of Silicon Valley, if you will. And a lot of people wondered what the heck I was doing because Winnipeg and, and Western Canada wasn't at the time typically known as a, a tech hotspot within within the industry. You know, Silicon Valley definitely was, Toronto, Ottawa, Vancouver in North America and Canada. Uh, but what I found when I came out here uh, is there is a very vibrant tech community. And through my recruiting uh, in Ontario, through companies I'd worked for, I was always impressed by the caliber of resources that were available from Western Canada. Uh, they're, they're very can-do. Uh, they almost have imposter syndrome sometimes. They don't realize how, how good they've got it and how well they can do their job. So they kind of come at problems very pragmatically and just say, okay, what are we trying to solve? And let's get it done and let's move it forward. And I really enjoy that uh, in, a, in a development team because I think you, anybody can learn new languages. Anybody can, can learn how to, uh, you know, sort of make things work. But if you're a problem solver and you're curious and you have passion and dedication, you can go a lot farther. And that's what I find in Western Canada in particular. A lot of the development resources we picked up in Calgary, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, uh, they, they really led to the success of Skip. 
um, you know, Skip isn't just a product. It actually created the market here. Uh, there wasn't a global yeah. or there wasn't a, a national food delivery service here. And, and it was the, uh, the foundation of building it here in Western Canada that allowed that to rapidly happen and very quickly roll out into smaller communities to start with and then grow into the larger communities they went. And then uh, eventually caught the attention of Uber, who created Uber Eats. And then, of course, DoorDash is another competitor of ours who are now, now in the environment. But that, that's why I chose out, out Western Canada. I, in Canada in general, I found working in Silicon Valley, I ran into a lot of people who are more worried about the paper on the wall than actually solving problems. And you know that's kind of frustrating when you're trying to grow and build something new. Um, and I find that Canadians in general are just a little bit more practical and tactical in terms of how they tackle problems because we spend six months in the cold and uh, want to do something else other than go surfing. So uh, <laughs> it, it's a lot easier for us to focus on things like that, I think, maybe. Fantastic. A ringing endorsement of Canada and Canadians there. <laughs> so um, uh, that's why you chose Western Canada. Why did you choose Jet? When did you know that Jet was the right place for you to be? Yeah, that's a great story. I, you know, my entire career, I've always tried to work for companies that choose to do the right thing and not just do things right. And I found during the uh, sort of 2000 era, things were getting more and more um, offshored. Companies were becoming a little more waterfall development oriented, a little, a little more project based in terms of not actually trying to develop new things. I thought it was getting very stale. And I was very frustrated by a lot of North American companies. I, I felt they had lost sort of the passion to build new and, and grow new. Um, and so I got out of the business for a while. And a number of people I knew who worked for Skip the Dishes had said, look, the headhunters are calling. Why aren't you answering the phone? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of tired of being a cheerleader for an organization. I, I have to believe my staff are excited about what they work on. And I have to be able to believe in the, the work we're doing. So they said, well, you should you should check it out. So they, they did have, they gave me an interview on a floor we call the incubator floor here in Winnipeg. And it's where we bring all new hires in Canada in. And they spend a couple of months working through all sorts of problems in a safe sandbox. Uh, they learn our patterns, our coding behaviors, in some cases even learn new languages because they may have an older version of the language that they knew. But we identified in them the skills that we're looking for to bring on board. And when I looked around this room, there was 100 people working away. And I realized that the company is willing to invest in that level of commitment locally to build a development team that knows what to do right. Uh, they obviously kind of have their priorities straight in terms of what I would be interested in working for. So Jet is very much that. Uh, another reason why Jet attracted me is I really liked a lot of the conversations around it being a safe environment to work in, that risk is accepted and you know failure is going to happen and it's not a blame culture. So uh, that's very important to me as well as somebody who focuses very much on the people management, that my teams don't feel like they are handcuffed artificially by processes or fear and uncertainty of, of taking some risks to do things. Of course, they have good guidelines. We follow best practices and principles to protect the, the business but you're allowed to sort of try things and discover that maybe it's not what you thought it was and adjust and react and, and grow. And that was really important to me as a, a big fan of agile software development to have that freedom. Now, it's, a, it's a, a theme that comes up a lot in this podcast, the unique kind of safe culture that exists at Jet. And we'll come to that a little bit later on. I'm particularly fascinated by it. But let's talk about the merger. You experienced the merger of Jet and Skip the Dishes. How did how challenging was that to create one entity and to take the best of both entities into the new entity? 
It was, I think it was greatly challenged. I, I've been through a number of mergers and acquisitions in my, my previous career, and there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences. Uh, when I first joined uh, Skip, it was going through the acquisition by Just Eat of the Skip property, and that was one approach and one sort of flavor of, of merger, and it brought its own challenges. In, in that case, there was a much more of an arm's length relationship between the two companies at the start. So the Skip tech ran Skip tech, and the Just Eat tech ran Just Eat tech. But very quickly, they realized there was an opportunity globally to start leveraging our Delco services and things, and we decided to create sort of a more global environment. But that kind of organically happened. Uh, with the Just Eat Takeaway merger, it was a little bit different because we also had very different cultures, I think, between Takeaway.com and Just Eat uh, and Skip as well. And it was interesting being on the Skip side because I think S- Skip had a, a trajectory more similar to Takeaway.com in terms of its, uh, hey, let's do this approach, let's get it done. Uh, and the technologies we used were a little more similar in many cases. So it was interesting being part of Just Eat going through a merger with Takeaway.com where we had the experience of the Just Eat side and culture, but we also understood the Takeaway culture a little bit more. So uh, it, w- it was challenging, but at the same time, uh, one thing we have learned through all of this is, is the development teams all want to do good work. There, there isn't an agenda or politics in terms of trying to get things done, and that makes it a lot easier for us to, to do these mergers. So, uh, you know, I think Merton team did a fantastic job building a structure that kind of fit and worked and allowed us to focus on the priorities. The team's kind of respect that and are excited about what we're working on. And, you know, even though the markets are a little bit different, there's so much similarity, we can see a lot of opportunity, which is also important when you do a merger. If you don't see any opportunity, then you get disengaged and then you get disassociated and you lose your teams. But our teams are constantly motivated to be more involved in that. Okay, that's that's interesting. You talk about motivation and the excitement um, that your teams have around projects. Why are they excited? What makes engineering at Jet an exciting prospect? Sure. Well, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty sexy. I mean, you know, somebody might wonder why, <laughs> how is food delivery sexy? But if you're a mobile developer, for example, you know, the, the holy grail is being able to work on something that has cool interfaces, cool graphics, large data sets, large problems, massive transactions, and a huge audience. And that's what we're dealing with here. So, uh, you know, when, when a developer joins our team very quickly, they're able to show their, their mom or their spouse Look, I just did this. I just made this change yeah. in this. And yeah. everybody knows when you when you go into a, a restaurant and somebody asks where you're working and you say jet or skip the dishes, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. I order that all the time. So there, there's a, a certain uh, appeal to that. If you work for an insurance company, only the people who have that insurance might see your application and a lot of the tools you build might be used by a much smaller subset, whereas our tools are very visible. And you know, certainly in product development, you've got a logistics application, you've, and you've got a partner or a restaurant application, you've got a consumer application. Applications. There's a lot of different applications, therefore a lot of variety. Uh, there are different audiences and different tool sets that are, are being used, so it gives you a lot of opportunity for growth. So I think that's a big part of it and what attracts people to, to work here and, and why it's kind of you know a fun and, and sexy place to work. But the other part of it is our, our actual methodologies and how we approach problems give a lot of opportunity for developers very quickly to propose and try new ideas. Um, you know, Our product teams that we work very closely with, they, they are constantly listening to what we find and see and need to do. And it's not just about replacing or upgrading a new language or some under the, the hood uh, technology. Often it's about how to improve things. Things. Uh, our hackathons are, are, you know, wildly supported. It's something that I think a lot of our team members really enjoy doing because it gives them a chance to do those things they always really wanted to do, but never quite hit the roadmap, but they knew it'd look really great. It'd be fun uh, and would solve problems that they see every day because they're also users of our systems. Like they, they understand the problem. As a matter of fact, the majority of our technology people are probably our target audience when you think about the personalities of who order food in and, and, and who would be doing that sort of work. 
You talk there about the, the safe space for innovation that exists within JET. So have you any tips on how to create that safe space from a, a managerial perspective, from a leadership perspective? And I guess I mean not just in um, an engineering or tech space, but perhaps in any workplace. How do you create that culture? Well, the first thing, it has, there has to be trust, right? So I have to trust those employees. And I also have to demonstrate that they can trust us as well. If, if there isn't a trust between the, the company and the employee, they're not going to feel like what they're hearing is necessarily what they get to, uh, uh, to deliver or what they'll be, be trusted to deliver upon. So for me, it's about creating a very transparent and open and honest uh, environment where they understand the challenges we're facing as a company. They understand the challenges other teams are facing. Um, and at the same time, they're being listened to and heard. So uh, that's the second sort of stool leg that's important to have in, in addition to the, the trust is is listening to what they want to have. Uh, if people feel listened to, they're going to feel more comfortable that when they, they take a risk, they're, you're going to understand why something may or may not work and, and go on. And then the last thing is where we're fortunate, we are in a very evolving market. Um, you know, the, it's constantly changing in terms of the type of products that we need to be providing, whether it's into new new market space or whether it's uh, dealing with changes in technology and, and, and uh, the languages that we work with. So uh, that's the, the last piece you need to have is enough innovative space that you're going to be able to actually do some of that work and not risk your core products, your core basis as you grow. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Now, a bit of a change of direction here, um, because I know that you're deeply passionate about this subject. So I want to talk about best practices and any advice you might have for inclusive hiring and confronting bias and promoting diversity, I guess specifically within tech, because I think we know that it's not necessarily um, a space in which diversity is, is at its best. What are your best practices and advice for organizations, maybe leaders, maybe looking to increase diversity within the tech space? Yeah, I've, I've been doing this for, for a number of decades and, and I was surprised to find out that I was part of the problem in terms of diversity. If, if Hollywood was to make a movie about the glass ceiling for women or the exclusion of minorities from within the tech industry, I probably look like the stereotypical villain in that movie. I'm a white middle-aged male <laughs> in a position of power. And, you know, I always felt, oh, I'm enlightened and I understand this. But I've learned as I work with uh, the minorities in our teams, with the women in tech uh, environment, that if they can't see themselves in leadership positions, if they can't see themselves in the company and roles, it's very difficult for them to see themselves in that company and, and in that role. And we're dealing with a very hot market in terms of software developers, engineers, uh, we need everyone we can get, and we're looking for the best that we can find. Yet half of the population or more is unavailable to us because they don't see themselves in, this, in STEM career roles and, and in that environment when I'm talking about women in particular. But also, there's a lot of opportunity with immigration. You know, Canada has a massive amount of immigration coming in. Uh, JET itself has brought in uh, 120 families from Brazil to to Canada, software developers we hired and, and brought north oh, wow. uh, to, to be part of it. And, you know, we've learned a lot about how to appeal to that diversity and make sure that's represented. When you look at the people who are in your organization now, they are through all levels of our, our, our management, senior management teams. So for me, it's really important to have that because I, I can't hire enough people if half the population isn't applying. And they're not going to apply if we don't demonstrate 
you know, what they see as values. And when they look at me, they won't see that. So I need to make sure I put in around me people and, and beside me and above me that they can recognize a career path and an opportunity to be in. The second thing that's really important, we talked about listening. I think listening is also really important on that in terms of how you, you do this effectively is uh, I found when I'm seeing an interview, I may have unconscious biases. I have an answer I'm looking for when I ask a question, but that's based on my experiences and what I grew up with, my own privileges. And sometimes I don't get that answer and I have to go back and ask myself, did I not get the answer because they didn't understand my question? Because their experiences maybe made it difficult for them to feel comfortable answering it the way they would feel better. And listen to what they're saying and understand because first of all they may have an answer that i wasn't expecting that doesn't fit my pattern but it's still a good answer and can give me some insight into their skills and, and their depth and secondly is it did i communicate that properly to make that available and it's more than just having diversity on the interview panel too i mean that is definitely an important part of that as well but everybody needs to have that opinion of okay i'm, I'm now going into this environment first impressions when you meet somebody new is where you bring your most uh, are most likely to bring an unconscious bias because the only thing you can go on is what you see and what you hear right away. So really important, I think, for us to, to recognize that and be constantly checking ourselves as we're going through interviews, as we're going through those sorts of dialogue and make sure we're not bringing any of those biases into our discussions. That's brilliant. And I, lo I love that bit about not having preconceived notions of what the answer to your question should be. Um, and I'd like to say that probably has a broader application in life in general as opposed to just recruitment in tech. Um, but uh, that's probably for another day. So tell me about the, the women in tech community at JET. Is it, is it a kind of um, nebulous and, and um, intangible thing or is there, are there is there a network within the organization and are there channels on which um, the women in tech community communicate, et cetera? Yeah, it is very visible, or at least I believe it's very visible. Um, and the feedback we're getting from the women in technology and can in uh, in Skip and Just Eat, as well as those outside, uh, recognize that uh, it's been certainly a long road, and it's made a lot more progress, I think, over the last couple of years in terms of penetrating into the more local markets uh, and being visible outside of the company as to how important it is. But it's definitely a, a very visible activity. I'll give you a great example of that. Our women in tech team had organized a uh, a local. It was almost like a hackathon for uh, high school students for females put on by one of the local colleges and what they did is we provided mentors senior senior engineers who could sit with these small teams and they would come up with a problem they wanted to solve a product perhaps they wanted to build and they would run through the entire life cycle of doing that the design the understanding even right into the business aspects of how to make that a product and over the course of about 10 12 weeks they would go through that effort and then we would go in and we sort of judged them, if you will, went through saying, hey, this is a great idea. You did a great job. Here's where you, you can improve and work on it. And through that, um, we obviously exposed the company to a lot of, of uh, young females before they even get into the, into the industry. But we also made sure that they understood what they need to understand about the industry, that what you see, again, in Hollywood movies isn't the reality. There's a lot of opportunity in different roles within tech that you can fill and you can play a, a role on. And I was so impressed. Uh, my son plays hockey. I was at a hockey rink. And uh, this girl walked up to me and said, are you Rob Stewart that works for Jet? And I said, yes, I am. And she says, well, I was one of the teams that you had adjudicated. I'm just finishing my first uh, four months uh, at the university, and I want to come work in January at your company. Is there a co-op position available for it? So the, the, it's a reciprocal value. So obviously women in tech uh, as a team are working because that message is getting out and it's solving the problems we need to have. Uh, but I was pretty impressed by that uh, because uh, I'm not sure that they would have come up to me even if they had recognized me from uh, a website or had heard me speak yeah. at some event or something. It was the fact that we actually engaged very aggressively with those teams and those people uh, to go through that project that that helped. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Now, we've covered a lot of the challenges um, that 
you've overcome and, and faced in the last sort of four years. Let's talk about the positive times, times when you wanted to spontaneously embrace your team because you were so proud of them. <laughs> yeah, that there's a lot of that because uh, as a leader, I think you, you, you have this common thread probably in a lot of your podcasts. Our, our job isn't to set the direction and ch- run into the breach ahead of everybody. Our, 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 as a true leader, what you want to do is remove the barriers and obstacles that those people who are actually fingers on the keyboard doing the work can get their job done. So a lot of time and energy, I think, is spent trying to um, make sure that we're, we're clearing those obstacles, we understand them as, as a leader, and you allow the teams to be successful. So a lot of my, my what I consider to be the real wins are where I saw that realized. Uh, a great example was with our operations environment. One of the challenges during the merger we had with uh, Just Eat or the takeover by Just Eat of, of Skip was a lot of them and us. The, the Just Eat engineers were like, hey, here's our app and our technology, and we should roll this everywhere. The Skip team were going, no, oh, no, no, here's our app, and here's our technology, we should roll this everywhere. And now we pushed them into the same department and said, okay, we've got to solve this problem because our operations teams themselves that support the customer base and the restaurant-based and the, the career bases are a common team, they're a common group, yet they have all these different tools that they're using. We need to figure this problem out. So the approach we took was actually to take all of the engineers in the UK that worked for uh, traditional Just Eat managers and have them reporting to skip managers and vice versa, that the majority of the skip team that reported to Canadian engine, uh, managers reported to UK managers. And over the course of a few months, it stopped being them and us because those managers were now responsible for products yeah. and teams. And it was challenging to say the least because you have time zones to deal with. But we had developed the tools already to work remotely. I mean, Canada is a very large country. Uh, for me to drive to the next nearest office is about a seven-hour drive. Uh, you know, right. most of our offices are, are flights away. It's, it's like traveling from Russia to Paris. So we're used to working different time zones and remotely. So it wasn't too difficult that way. And the same with Just Eat. They wanted to solve the problems and recognize the value. We put pe- people into the same room. We had, we had project kickoffs where we brought people together. And I remember in particular, there was one manager on the Just Eat side who was very much uh, trying to, you know, how to promote the tools he had been building over a number of years to get them to be the tools that we use. And I said to him, it's quite possible those tools will be the tools we use, but I need you to be objective. You've got a broader responsibility now. You've got teams on both sides of the Atlantic that you need to recognize. And I remember sitting in a meeting where uh, they were another pillar was talking about now merging some of their work together and how they're going to tackle that problem. And he took the lead saying, hey, you know, we got we to gotta look at, there's technology you're using here in Canada that could really benefit what you're doing in the UK. There is people here in Canada that are, could benefit what you're doing in the UK. Don't write that off. And he was actually becoming a champion of making sure we, we had that sort of cross-pollination. I just wanted to run up to the, through, through the Zoom, it was the middle of COVID, run through the Zoom and give him a big hug because it, it clearly had sunk in. And what we got out of that was better technology because nobody cares. And, and that kind of is one of the axioms of, of what I hope people take away when they, they are merging, going through a merger and acquisition or whether you're building a new team. Never define yourself by the tools you built. Define yourself by the experiences you had in building them. And because in the, we all work on rented software and borrowed borrowed software. None of this is ours. Somebody before us built it, and in the future, somebody else will be taking it away and maintaining it. You are you are a visitor to this, this activity. So what your strength is, is what you learned while doing it to take it to the next pieces of software that you touch, whether that's in our company or somewhere else. And if you define yourself by what you built, you'll always be dissatisfied because that always gets retired or moved past or moved on. And you never have enough bandwidth to do everything. So if you want to grow, you need to be able to let those things go. So learn from what you do and take that and, and define yourself by that and not by the, the results of what you've done. That feels like another software-based l- lesson that actually is applicable to, to life more broadly as well. How true. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. So I have a question about the merger again. You said that your teams then reported to the managers from the from the opposite side of the merger, so to speak. Was that something that is usual within a merger? Is that something a, a technique which is used in other mergers in your experience, or was it something that was unique to the Skip and Jet merger? Uh, it's, I think it is rather unique. Uh, I have done it in other companies before and seen it done in other companies before it takes, uh, first of all, the team has to have common sets of problems. They may have different technology that need common sets of problems. They have to understand what I call the currency of the conversation. They need to be talking the same. If one is talking pounds and there's talking Canadian dollars, it's going to be very different to come to a common understanding. But if you have the same problems and just different technologies, this is a very effective way of doing that. The second thing is you need to have teams that are willing to work or have worked virtually. So in, in this case, the operations teams in the UK and the, the Canadian operations teams already were used to working distributedly through different offices. So there wasn't that reliance upon everybody being in the same room all the time. So that made it successful. And I think it'd be more, it's more difficult. UK. So it doesn't apply all the time and it can't apply everywhere, but in the right environment, it's, in my opinion, the most effective way to create a long-term solution. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Now, people management. Clearly, you started as a software engineer and people development and management of people has become your passion. How did you get to your philosophy that you have today? <laughs> and what advice would you give for young people who are interested and impassioned by the same thing that you are about making work cultures work and um, allowing people to blossom? Yeah, I, I, I was fortunate. I was in, in high school. I did very well in the sciences and the maths and things like that. So uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated. But all the people I respected in my life said, oh, you should be an engineer. You should go into engineering. And it was at a time when computer software and development was just really growing to be much more popular. I mean, there were computer scientists were around for a while, but it was really when personal computers and things like that were becoming possible. You could bring this sort of thing home. So I got into that and I started doing it. I was really excited. So I went off to university to do that. And then I'm in a room with a bunch of other people at a very good university. And I realized, oh my God, I'm not the best. These people are far more excited about the things they're doing than I am. Um, but what I really enjoyed was helping work and coordinate, uh, moderate and present and manage those, those groups of people. So while they were very inward often, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of software developers can be, you know, uh, more inward looking and less, you know, socially uh, interested in sort of standing at the front of the room. Uh, it's a skill set that I always enjoyed. So it was a nice mix and a nice fit. And that's when I realized that I need to be in the technology industry, but I need to be doing it in a way that builds teams that can do successful things. That's what I get my, my motivation from seeing, seeing the success from it. You know, I'm always the guy rooting for the underdog. I'm always the guy that's sort of, that, that's what I enjoy. And that's where I get my reward from. Uh, I, I told Mert this year during my performance review sessions, the end of year stuff that uh, as important it is to me that, you know, he likes what I'm doing. It's far more important to me my team likes what I'm doing. You know, his rating and rating of me is less important to me than how they feel I'm succeeding or failing in uh, them. So that's that. Since that's my reward mechanism, if that's who you are, um, then this is a great field to be in, a uh, great opportunity. The second thing I, I think I realized when I got there is a lot of people who are not in software development think that software developers are the geeks and nerds with pocket protectors and tape on their glasses and they're you know very socially awkward and, and not interested in, in anything but a computer and numbers. And that is not the case. These are some of the most creative people I've ever worked with. Uh, some of them come with personalities like divas, so it's very artistic and, and, and you have to understand how to work with that. And, and it's not about tolerating it, it's about fostering it. The, 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 
the best and brightest are the ones that are the most creative and out of the box and as such come with all of the the uh, personalities and behaviors that are associated with that and i love that too it, the, I, I never you never know when you're working in a team who's going to uh, really shine and, and be able to step up and do something you're not expecting and and uh, you you look for those packets and pockets of knowledge and grow them fantastic something you wrote um that i read was about um not manipulating um as a leader it's important not to manipulate or attempt to manipulate those people that work in your team can you tell me a little bit more about that why it's the wrong thing to do and what the potential consequences are oh absolutely so uh, you know, these are very highly paid professionals, right? Some of the highest paid people in our company are the software development teams and the engineers. And we hire them to solve problems, to look at things, find patterns and solve them. So if we are trying to manipulate these people, they're going to very quickly understand, wait a minute, what are you doing? This isn't a problem. Why are you trying to suggest this? Why are you trying to go down this path? And that destroys your trust. And as I said earlier on in the conversation, trust is the most important thing you have to have with your team. If, if they trust you and you trust them, now you can actually get around to doing the work. If there's uncertainty or doubt that they, they have in their mind because they feel like they're being manipulated, or you actually are trying to manipulate them to get something that is not native or instinctual to them to do, then you're going to fail. And, and you're not going to succeed or get the best work out of, out of people by doing that. So it's important, like I said, there, there are times in which decisions are made that may not be what a developer wants to hear share that be open and honest don't try and manipulate them into liking that idea because reality is if if they're worth the money you're paying them they're going to see through all that anyways and all it does now is just destroy your ability to get something done and they're trusting you for doing that so as a manager it's really important not to be afraid of failure including your own failure and your own your own misses i mean uh, every week i'm sure there's something i do where i go oh, i i should have done this sooner i should have done this faster i should have done that differently uh and i talk to the teams about that and just make sure they're aware and, and see that i have that that problem so that they know when I make a mistake, I'll own it and, and vice versa. They know that when they make a mistake, they can own it and not feel like they're going to be punished or punitive against it. How do you think your teams would describe you as a leader? <laughs> That's interesting. Um, so we, we are fortunate here at Jet. We do have glint surveys, you know, that kind of tell us the engagement of staff. And I kind of look at engagement uh, as an important part of that. And you might see your name brought up in comments about how they appreciate this. Um, and that's that's one tool that we can use. But I think it's more important. The One of the challenges I have as a director is how far away from the front line I am now compared to when you're a senior manager and you're much closer to it. So you have to make okay. the effort to sit and talk and meet with people. Um, whether that's physically in the office here where I, where I come in and I bump into our new employees and I get a chance to talk with them, uh, or whether that's virtually through meetings or you hold coffee sessions or fireside chats as we're starting to do more often now. Um, that's how you connect and understand how well you're doing, uh, I, I think, with the teams and, and learn if, if you're actually making a difference or not. The challenge, of course, is you're coming in as a director and for, particularly for a new employee, they might have, ooh, I can't. I can't disagree. I can't say something. So you try and be as uh, conversational and open and down to earth as you can be at the start of it. So they feel comfortable being able maybe to share their opinions more openly and, and, and have more flexibility in doing that. But that's a, that's a challenge. And we were talking about un- uh, unconscious bias that you bring into interviews. Well, it's the same problem when you're dealing with staff too. I have an unconscious bias. I think everybody recognizes I'm just a human being. I'm, I'm no different. Uh, I'm not my title as a director. I'm, I'm trying to solve the same problems. And, uh, 
you have to recognize that and understand when you walk into a room that there may be a bias that people feel uncomfortable and you have to do your best to, to lower those doors and, and spend time talking to them and, and listen to that. You know, a lot of the stuff that I deal with, I can tell you about their spouses and their challenges and their broken car and all those things. And, and that's not uh, something I do because, you know, I'm trying to fill time. It's something I do because it helps me understand them and they can understand, you know, my side of it. I can share my own failings and issues and challenges I have. I have two teenage kids. I have a, I could talk for hours about my challenges at home. Fantastic. Thank you. We should rename this podcast Life Lessons Through the Lens of Running a Tech Team. Right. Um, final question. This is quasi-philosophical. Uh, Apologise in advance. And actually, you've kind of answered it over the duration of the podcast. But why do you go to work? I, I get up every morning to come into work um, because I, I see opportunity to, to do something. Um, you know, we're not curing cancer here, right? We're, we're delivering food. So you have to be able to measure your successes. But I know that I can help bring people uh, to a room, to a table to solve problems. I can be part of that. And since my skills as a software developer are nowhere near as great as the people that I work with, I get to participate in that vicariously, though. I get to see the results of that and understand that. So what I enjoy doing is being able to talk to people who are not in technology and explain the challenges we're running into on the technology side so they understand why something just can't happen a certain way, but also be able to articulate what we can do and maybe open their eyes to it. Unlike if you look at NASA and they're going to Mars, they know exactly where Mars is going to be in the landing spot within meters years in advance. The physics and the, the, the governance around all of that is so well understood, you can plan exactly where you want to be. But in software development, you are actually changing your destination every time you release something or, or put something out because somebody's opinion of what they want will change the minute you give them a piece of it. So as you start releasing the product or you start talking about the issues of what they think they need to have, and then they see how something behaves differently than they expected or how something behaves faster or, or they start to understand other ways of doing it. So that end destination is never there. It's always changing, always moving, always evolving. So the other thing I really enjoy about, about getting out of bed in the morning and coming into work is I know the problems I'm going to solve are always going to be looking for a solution every day that's different. I, I may not always get closure because of that, but I get the opportunity to try new things and see new things all the time. It's, it's not a, a drudgery to come in and, and sort of churn through the same problem over and over again. And I get to do that with customers who understand that. If, if you're very good at being able to explain that, they understand they're part of the solution too. They're not just giving you a, a spec and then a year later they get the result, but they're going down that journey and that path with you. And you start to see them understand how they can, they can do more and be better. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jet's been so successful is it, it's always has taken a look at the market. It's deployed, it's evaluated what it's got out there. It, it adjusts as it goes. And that, that agility really makes a better product. And I think it makes it for the teams much more enjoyable to get up in the morning and come into work. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Robert, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. That was informative and um, insightful. I, I really appreciate your time. No, not a problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening to We Are Jet. If you'd like to know more about working at Just Eat Takeaway, go to careers.justeattakeaway.com. Our career website can also be found in our show notes. My name is Ed Palmer. Talk to you soon.